you have your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to read a very familiar passage of Scripture. This is the sacrifice, the narrative of the sacrifice of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the patriarch. And I'm going to read just the first five or six verses, and then pick our first four verses, actually, and then pick it up again in verse 9, because it's a familiar passage. So now hear God's word. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abram rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. I'll pick it up in verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abram built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abram reached out his hand and took a knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from the heavens and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from the heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the sea that is on the seashore. And, of, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This is the word of God. The, uh, there's an award-winning author, Patricia Rabon, Rabon and uh, she writes of living as a young black girl in a poor urban neighborhood during the uh, dark days of Jim Crow, the Jim Crow laws in the United States of segregation, and what it was like to grow up living in fear, constant fear and darkness that pervaded the, uh, the racism that existed at that time in the United States. Uh, she spoke of uh, being terribly frightened uh, hearing about uh, the four little girls that were 
uh, murdered in a church in Birmingham, Alabama when a bomb exploded and set the church on fire, uh, or reading about Emmett Till being lynched. And her life as a young girl, pre-teenage girl, uh, was filled with fear and darkness. But she said every year that changed at Christmas because her father and the other black men in their poor church would go down into the basement and get all the boxes of lights for Christmas and spend all day Saturday, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, stringing the lights around their whole church inside and out. She said they covered the church inside and out with lights. And then her father, who was a deacon or an officer in the church, would get all the children together and would flip the switch. And the lights would come on. And she says all of her fear would disappear. At least for that brief time. Later she writes this. Listen, this is amazing. My younger daughter has left the church, converting ten years ago to Islam. Her children don't celebrate Christmas, yet they are drawn to the light. As my little granddaughter whispers to me, Grammy, are you getting a Christmas tree with lights? In her question, I read this, I hear this. Will you share your light? The world longs for it. But how will the world know Him if we don't light the way? How will the world know Him if we don't light the way? You know, Christmas and Christianity, Christmas in particular, but Christianity in general has been known for light. In fact, the very first verses of the Bible, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. At Jesus' birth, a light of a star showed the way for the wise men from the east. Uh, there was a, a light that surrounded the shepherds when the army of God, we call it a choir, but believe me, all of the language that's used in Luke of that, that heavenly appearance is of an army coming to accompany the king into battle. And that glorious light that shined around the shepherds on Christmas morning. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus experiences the revulgence of God, the glory of God, and it and explodes out of Him to His disciples. And on, on the resurrection morning of Easter, the angels descend from heaven to accompany their King out of the grave again with light, paralyzing light. The Romans' soldiers were paralyzed with light. Why light? What is it about light? Listen to this. We live in a world shrouded in darkness. Long shadows cast by the misery and sin and slavery of the fall. When God first met Abraham, He took him outside into the dark night to look into the deep black of space. And He said this, 
I'll make your offspring like the stars in number and in brightness. Countless, listen folks, light bearers. Countless light bearers to drive out the dark. Abram believed God and the first light bearer was born, his son, Isaac. And then God does the unimaginable. He comes to Abraham and he tells him, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and put out the light. Unthinkable. Dr. Bruce Waltke says in his commentary, this is one of the most difficult passages in all of the Old Testament. And the Dutch philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, said this, this request by God, this command by God, is illogical, absurd, irrational, and possibly immoral. That takes a lot of a lot of guts to say that God may be irrational and immoral. But that is why this passage stands out. It is so dark. And yet, we find amazing light. So how do you do what Patricia Rebona is saying? How do you share your Christmas light? A light that, folks, was dearly purchased. A staggering cost. An infinite cost. God's only Son, How do we do that? Let me give it to you quickly. Three things. First, you have to face the darkness. Secondly, you have to make the journey to the mountain. Make the journey of obedience and faith. And finally, you'll find the light. So let's look at verse 1 and 2. Facing the darkness. If Kierkegaard is right, and I think he is, I think it was a disturbing request. It's meant to trouble you. It's meant to bother you. What is God doing? If you were the first reader of this, you would not have understood what he's doing. Why would he say, I'm going to bring you this wonderful child, this child of light, this image bearer, and then some years later say, no, no, now we're going to kill this child of light and bring back the darkness? Why would he do that? Why is it so difficult? Well, several things. This is not a story or a fable. This is stark reality. It should bother us. You see, Isaac embodied salvation. He embodied the future. Like our children do and our grandchildren. When we look at them, we see the future. The possibility of a future. Certainly, a future that you and I will not see. Our children are messengers we send into that future. And they bear our image and hopefully carry with them the light that we have brought into their life. And so why kill the boy? And not only that, Abram knew. Abraham lived in a culture where they did human sacrifices. It was done regularly. But Abram and his tribe knew that human sacrifice was repugnant to God. And yet... They also had in the ancient Near East an understanding that firstborn, everything firstborn or first fruits, everything of the first belonged to God. So you didn't go into your, your bank account and give him what was left. You gave him what was first. And then you lived on what was left. 
And he was actually pretty generous compared to the other gods in the ancient Near East because he only asked for a small amount, 10% or so. And then he let his people live on the 90% that was left. The other gods took 90% and left the people with 10%. God was exceedingly gracious, but everyone understood the first belongs to God, whoever the gods are. And in this case, Abraham did not question. And a lot has been written about this. And and let me just say this quickly and then we'll move on. I do not like speculation. Those of you that have been at Christ the King for a long time, I think it's wrong for pastors to get up and speculate, uh, especially if it's too much. We don't know how Abraham felt. So if you hear somebody preach a sermon on Abraham being agonized and Abraham this and Abraham that, we don't know. The text does not tell us and we should not speculate. We do not know what Abraham thought. We don't know what he felt. We don't know whether he was dragging his heels or whether he was running full blast up the mountain to kill his son. We don't have any idea. All we know is this. He obeyed God. And he did it fully and completely. He may have had questions. His heart may have been torn. We have no idea. And so I'm not going to say what I think may have gone on with Abraham. One thing we do know is that Abraham believed with all his heart and soul that everything of his future was wrapped up in that boy. Everything. All his hopes, all his dreams, all his prayers, everything he had was wrapped up in the life of that son, Isaac. And so here's a little speculation. I'm not going to speculate too much, but here's a little bit. God loves to work in ways in which only His power can get glory. Are you following me? Only His power can get glory. And so Abram, it's very possible that Abram considered Isaac to be the way, listen carefully, the way of salvation for his future. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great pastor, said that an idol is anything, an idol is anything that occupies the place that God should occupy alone. In other words, there's no room in our lives for anything other than God to be the ultimate or supreme value and meaning in our lives. We can't look, you and I cannot, I can't look at my sons and my little granddaughter who was crying a moment ago and they just took her out. I can't look at them and say, they are my salvation, they are my future. Even though, in a human sense, in a a physical sense, they are. I must look to God. We can't use our spouse and our children and our job and our careers and our education and our money and all these things to give us meaning and hope for our future or even for now, which is what I think is going on with Abraham. God is telling Abraham, your future is not in Isaac, your future is in me. Anything that occupies the place that God should occupy alone even if it's that which is dearest to us, folks, is a danger. 
And it's not that God is going to take away your career or take away your money or take away your children. But what He does want you and I to do is look into our hearts like Abraham had to do. This story is real. He had to actually take his son and make this journey to the mountain. He had to look into his life and say, will I or will I not take the knife and plunge it into my child? This horrifically repugnant act, will I or will I not do it? Will I trust Him? And as we start a new year, folks, I'm pleading with you, please, take a few moments of quiet, of solitude. Get alone. It doesn't have to be a lot of time, but a few minutes And reflect. Don't make any resolutions. But reflect on your life. Think about what it is that is of most value to you. What is occupying the deepest desire of your hearts? And if you order your life around that one thing that we here at Christ the King try to continually remind you, all of us, everyone you hear preaching at this church, from our elders to visiting pastors, we all tell you the same thing. You have got to order your love around Jesus Christ your King. And then everything else will fall out. Your marriage will fall out the way He wants it to. Your children, will God will work out things in their lives the way your career will go the way it's supposed to go. Maybe good, maybe not, but it doesn't matter. You see, if you have Him, you have it all. But if you don't have Him, if all you have is something, even if it's something dear to you, like a child, you can lose it all. We don't know how Abraham felt, but we know what he did. He faced the dark, this terrible request from God, and he made the journey. Let's look at those verses. This is that section 2 through 14. We're not going to read it all, but there's two things I want to point out here. Abram obeyed God and he believed something about God. He obeyed Him and he believed. And I think it's a mistake for us ever, ever to separate Obedience and faith, it's a mistake to separate them. If you believe God, you will do what? What will you do? Say obey. You will obey Him. If you believe Him, you will obey Him. And so faith and obedience must go together. It's possible to obey and not believe. Yes? Yes, it is. That is the definition, folks, of a Pharisee. A Pharisee obeyed but refused to believe. And Jesus told the people listening, He said, look, the Pharisees and the scribes, they sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they tell you to do. They sit in the seat of Moses. They have authority. But do not do how they do. They bind heavy burdens, grievous to be borne. They lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves won't lift one finger to release them from that burden. They're whited sepulchers. They're like a grave that's been painted white, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. They travel miles to make a proselyte. And in so doing, they make him twofold more the child of hell than they are themselves. Jesus warned against raw Naked obedience. And so we do too. 
Obedience has to be mixed with faith. That's what makes Abram, this patriarch, the father of the faithful. We call him Father Abraham. God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and Abraham answered and said, Heneni, or here am I. Here am I. In, in literally, it could be translated like this. Here, behold, I am here. I am at your service. Whatever you wish, whatever you wish, I will treat as a command. Whatever you wish, I will treat as a command. And when you pair that with this verse, take please, I pray you, your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, to Moriah. When you pair it with these two phrases, it, it's something like this. Since you're ready to obey me, Take your son. You see, God did not come down and crush Abraham into uh, forcing him to obey him. He came and he said, please, take your son, please. And then paired with the next phrase, it comes to mean something like this. Since you're ready to obey me, now go. Leh lecha, is what he said. Go away. To the mountain. Get out to the mountain. Dr. Eugene Peterson said, All persons of faith I know, listen, folks, all persons of faith that I know are sinners, doubters, uneven performers. We are secure, listen, please, we are secure not because we are sure of ourselves but because we trust that God is sure of us. You see, God knows you. He knows you and He loves you. And so a test in your life is nothing more, if you will look at it this way, a test is nothing more than God proving to you and everybody else who you really are. He's letting all the dross, all the junk come up. And we shouldn't be afraid of it. We should embrace that and make the journey. Face the dark. Make the journey. Trust Him. Take those steps in the new year. Look, I can't predict the new year, folks, but if it's any like, anything like every other year of our lives, it's going to be full of joy and goodness and gladness. And what else? Trials and darkness and hardship. And so this last Sunday of 2014, think about the new year, about taking that step into the new year, not with a bunch of resolutions that you make, I hereby resolve to do this and thus and so, but that you throw yourself into the arms of a living Savior who knows you and only will do in your life what is for your good and His glory. Even in a story like this, all persons of faith. We're all doubters. We're all sin- we all know our failures and our mess. But God stands above and says, no, come, come, move this way. It's okay. Don't be afraid. Follow me. Abraham does it. 
The writer of Hebrews explains, I think, the best insight we get into Abraham's motive and sense of feelings and thought patterns that are going on, we get from the writer of Hebrews. Listen to what he said in chapter 11 of Hebrews. By faith, Abraham, when tested, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now listen, he considered or he reasoned, the word in Greek is reasoned out, he considered or reasoned it out. God was able even to raise him from the dead which he received figuratively back again. In other words, the writer of Hebrews said, "Here's you want to know what Abraham was thinking? Abraham was going up the mountain with his son Isaac. And he's in who knows what kind of emotional state he's in. We don't really know. But whatever state he's in, we know this. That as he went up the mountain, as he was facing that dark moment of taking a knife and plunging it into the heart of his own son, unthinkable, as he was doing that, Folks, he was reasoning it out. He was thinking about it. He was saying, you know what? I don't understand what's going on. I don't know why I got cancer. I don't know why my child died. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why I lost my job. I don't understand, but I'm going to keep going towards the light. I'm going to keep moving. I don't, get, I don't understand, but he's reasoning it out. He's thinking, you know, as he's walking up the mountain, he's saying, God said... This child would be the father of all this multitude, the light bearer, the one that's going to bring all this light. There must be, there must be a resurrection at the end of this. There must be life from this death. There must be hope from this despair. Do you see it? Abraham was reasoning it out. Do you know that every other religion on the face of the planet Earth except authentic historic Christianity says faith is a leap into the dark and in order to believe you have to abandon all of your thinking and just go. Only Christianity says, no, no, no. That's not faith. Faith is reasoning it out. And then you step, you make the state because it is solid as a rock. In other words, faith is not about some force that you have inside of you. Faith is all about where you are going to place your trust. It takes on the characteristic of what you give it, of what you place it in. Excuse me. So if you put your faith in God Almighty... Your little paltry, pitiful faith, which is what mine looks like, weak and doubting and fearful and dark sometimes, that little bit of faith takes on the character of the one in whom you believe and it becomes strong. Faith does not teach a blind leap, unreasonable, but the opposite. We are encouraged to think, to reason it out. God promised descendants to Abraham. Therefore, let's go up the mountain. God promises things to us and therefore we go and we let the chips fall where they may without fear. Obedience and faith then, folks, listen. Here's the principle. Obedience and faith are both based in the character of God Himself, 
not your and my willpower, not our goodness, not our willingness, not any of that. It is simply a function of how well we are acquainted with Him and willing to step into uh, the, the ocean of whatever it is in front of us, trusting Him. This takes the pressure off. It's not about you, it's about His faithfulness. And it makes our relationship to Him real and authentic. So how do you find the light? Look at these last few verses, 15 through 18. He says here, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have not withheld your son, your only son, I surely will bless you, multiply your offspring, and make you uh, uh, great over your enemies, and possess all the nations of the earth. How do you make your way in the midst of that darkness? Well, as they were going up the mountain, Isaac asked his father, Father, I see the light, the, uh, the, the wood, I see the, the fire for the uh, sacrifice, uh, but we don't have a lamb. We don't have the sacrifice itself. And God said to his son Isaac, God will provide himself a lamb. When they get to the mountain, there is no lamb. There is a ram, a male uh, 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 lamb, caught a male uh, sheep caught in the thicket. And this ram is sacrificed in place of Isaac. How do you make your way in the darkness? How do you let your light shine in the darkness? Well, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Prostontheon. The Word was facing God. The Word was the image of God Himself. The Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, listen, in Him was life. And the life was the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus Christ, folks, was born the light of the world. But in order to make a way in the darkness for you and I, He had to go into the darkness. The darkness of the cross. He may have gone up the very same mountain. Many scholars believe that Calvary was Moriah, the mountain. I don't know if it was or not. It doesn't really matter. But Jesus Christ, the light of the world, went up that mountain and took the place of Isaac of you and of me. On the mountain, Jesus, the light of the world, entered the darkness. He would become the sacrifice. He would suffer the abandonment and forsakenness that you and I will never know. And perhaps it's why Abram said, why Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it 
and was glad. Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Abram knew that Jesus Christ was his Savior and the Savior of his Son. And I hope that this year you will start that. Make your journey, folks. Face the dark. Take whatever climb he puts before you, knowing that at the top you will find a Savior who went into the dark for you so that you would never have to be in the dark. And in that way, we can take our light to this world, to our city and the rest of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank You for uh, this wonderful and majestic story of Your great servant Abraham who came and, and uh, did this for us in this way so that we could learn about what Jesus Christ really would mean to the world. I pray, Holy Father, that You will, um, as this year unfolds, 2015, with all of its joy and gladness and possible uh, trials, whatever they are. Help us, I pray, to embrace them, make our journey in faith and obedience to You, knowing that we will find the light of Jesus Christ at every turn, our great King. We pray in His name. Amen.